Well, good morning. It is good uh, to be with you once again. I do want to say I'm a little uh, nervous, also a little bit excited to share with you this morning. Nervous not just because I'm rusty uh, at preaching, uh, but really because uh, what I felt like I was supposed to do with you this morning is something I've never done before. Typically, uh, when we preach here, if you've been a part of our church family for a while, you know that we're going to usually camp out in one text uh, in Scripture, and we're going to just be staying there. But the Lord really impressed on my heart. He even gave me the outline like several weeks ago, so I just felt like I know I have to do this just to come back with you on my first message back and share four words that God laid on my heart in sabbatical. Another reason I'm a little bit nervous is because uh, these may or may not be words for you, and I realize that, but I, I still felt like that I was supposed to do this, and actually, uh, if we give ourselves to what God wants to say to us this morning, I believe he will have a word for you as well. You'll notice that the message notes look a little bit uh, different than they might usually if you like to use message notes. I've left a lot more room just for blanks because... I don't want to tell you what you should fill in, what the, God's Word is to you. I want you to be more attuned uh, to what the Spirit might have you here this morning. So that's where we're headed. We're going to be kind of going all over Scripture. I'll try to give you a heads up when we're going to different uh, places. We'll have a lot of that on the screen as well. But here are just four words I wanted to share uh, on my time away. So before we start that, though, why don't we pray? Lord, I'm not just praying right now because it's something I'm supposed to do before I speak. I'm praying to acknowledge that unless you speak, there will be no power, there will be no authority, there will be no movement in the lives of your people. We set aside this time of this service, we set aside the chaos that we bring into this room, and we come desperately as your people wanting to hear a word from you. And because you are a good Lord, a good Father, I believe you will give us that word. So go before us now. Open our hearts and our ears and our minds. Do what you want to do in this time. We give ourselves unto you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the first word that the Lord laid on my heart this summer is the word when. W-H-E-N, when. Let me explain. I'm sure all of you can remember every detail of the last message I gave when I was here before I left on sabbatical. Uh, but in case you didn't, let me give you a refresher. We were finishing up uh, the first half of the book of Ephesians. We did chapters 1 through 3. And if you remember, Ephesians 1 through 3 is where Paul is writing to the Ephesian believers and to us still today about our new identity in Jesus Christ. And we spent a lot of time talking about that identity. But the, at the end of chapter 3, Paul sort of bursts forth in this prayer that he prays over the Ephesian church. And the prayer was that the Ephesian believers would have an experience of the power and the presence and the glory and the love of Christ Jesus. And we talked about how Paul's prayer isn't that they would just know more about God, which is where so many of us live today. We know a lot about God. And that's a good thing. But what Paul is praying, that the believers would actually have an experience of the presence and the power and the glory of God in their lives. That message really had an impact on my life. It really got my heart stirring. And I began to ask myself the question, well, why don't I have more experiences of God in that way? 
Why don't I experience his glory more, his presence more? I've had those moments in my life, and I hope some of you can look back at those as well. And even more than that, how does a person have those experiences? I mean, what can we do, if anything? Is it all just by chance? Well, with these questions on my heart, I began a study of the life of Moses this summer, and I came to a very familiar passage in Exodus chapter In fact, that's the first place I'll encourage you to turn. Uh, If you have your own Bible with you this morning, Exodus is the very second book uh, in the Bible, so not too far. And if you don't have a Bible and you want to follow along, it's on page 40 in the Black Bibles in the seat in front of you. Exodus 3 recounts the story of the calling of Moses. Remember, God calls Moses to be the person who would lead the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt into the promised land. And God reveals himself to Moses in a burning bush. You probably remember that story in the movies and so forth. Now, I've got to tell you something. I've read this story dozens of times before in my life. I have preached on this story. But have you ever had the experience that even when you come across a very familiar story in the Bible, God will open your eyes to see new things that you've never seen before? That's exactly what happened to me in this story in Exodus chapter 3. And it had everything to do, everything to do with this question I was asking about experiencing the presence, the power, the glory, the love of Christ. Let's take a look at it starting in verse 1, Exodus 3. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. And if you have your notes out, would you read verse 4 on your notes there with me? It says... When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses, and Moses said, here I am. Verse 5, do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Now talk about an experience of the presence and the glory of God. I mean, how amazing that must have been, right? And yet, apparently, it was also very frightening. I read that, and I go, Lord, I want to have an experience like that with you. Maybe not the frightening part, but, but the revealing part. The experiencing of your glory, the experiencing of your presence in a very tangible way. Maybe some of you have felt that same desire at some point. Have any of you? I don't think everybody has this desire. Some of us are content with just knowing about God. But I believe that's a desire God wants us to have. In fact, it's a prayer that Moses would later pray again. Lord, show me your glory. It's not a bad desire to want to experience God's glory. But in this text, it dawned on me for the first time that desire isn't enough. Desire isn't enough. As I began to read this story more in depth, I was struck forcefully by verse 4. I want you to notice it again carefully. It says, when the Lord saw that Moses had gone over to look. And then there's a comma, and it could almost say, then God called to him. 
For the first time reading this story, I recognize there is a direct cause and effect relationship between Moses' willingness to pay attention and God's willingness to reveal himself. Did you catch that? When Moses took the time to look, then God spoke from the bush. God revealed himself to Moses because Moses stopped. He paused. He turned aside. And I realized something, friends. If I really want to experience God the way that Paul prayed we would, to really have an experience, not just know more about him, but to experience Christ in me, the question God laid on my heart was, well, then when are you going to turn aside and look? I think I speak for many of us in this room, and the fact that we are choosing to live lives that don't always set us up for this ability to pay attention. We are living lives constantly on the go. We are in chaos. We long for a word from the Lord. We long to experience God's glory and his presence. But somehow we have been suckered into believing that the pace we're keeping is going to afford us those kinds of opportunities. But because we move so fast, I don't think we even have time to notice the burning bushes that are right in front of our face. If you have a longing to experience the presence and power of God in your life, a question you might ask yourself that I've been forced to ask myself is, how much paying attention am I doing, really? How much turning aside to look is built into my life? I'm not just talking about having a daily quiet time, though that is certainly a place we need to start, right? Daily, uh, in the morning, in the afternoon, whenever, in the evening, taking the time to invest in God's word and prayer. I'm actually talking more specifically about extended times of solitude and stillness, where we learn, we don't know how to do this at all as Americans, where we learn how to just be in the presence of God. We like to do. We're pretty good at doing, aren't we? But we need to learn how to be if we just want to experience God's presence, when, when are we going to turn aside and look? Maybe God has been trying to get our attention all along. Ruth Barton wrote, we need moments in our lives when we let the chaos, is that a word you can relate with? When we let the chaos settle a bit and we invite God to show us evidence of his presence at work. Friends, David would write, I mentioned, I've been going through the Psalms, and he writes these familiar words, I want to taste and see that the Lord is good. Those are experiencing words, aren't they? David didn't say, I want to know about God's goodness. He says, I want to taste it. I want to see it. And God's word to me, and maybe to you, is then when are you going to make that time available in your life? A.W. Tozer, who is a wonderful author, if you've never read any of his works, I couldn't encourage it more. He wrote in his maybe most famous book, The Pursuit of God, Words That Haunted Me. He said this, I have this up on the screen for you to follow along. In the midst of this great chill, there are some who want to taste, to touch with their hearts, to see with their inner eyes, and the wonder that is God. I want to deliberately encourage this mighty longing after God. The lack of it has brought us to our present low estate. The stiff and wooden quality about our religious lives is a result of our lack of holy desire. 
Complacency is a deadly foe of all spiritual growth. Acute desire must be present or there will be no manifestation of Christ to his people. And this is the line that slayed me. He waits to be wanted. Too bad that with many of us, he waits so long, so very long in vain. He waits. He's waiting for me. He's waiting for me. He's waiting for me to turn aside and to look. Now, for a person living in 21st century America, this is no small thing, is it? In the rush of our normal life, I blow right past the places where God is trying to get my attention all the time. But if my desire truly is to experience the glory and the presence and the love of Christ more in my life, then I've got to turn aside more and look. I need time for my soul to settle. I need to learn how to be. He waits to be wanted. Is he waiting for you? Maybe his question to you this morning is the same as it was to me. Then when? When are you going to turn aside and spend time with me? Second word that the Lord had for me uh, is the word generous. Generous. This word popped up in many ways. For example, our family was overwhelmed by the generous spirit of this church by even allowing us for that time to go away on sabbatical. Last week, if you were here, Pastor Jeff gave a message on finances, right, where we learned that we are to be generous as believers with all God has given us. But neither of those is really the main way this word affected me this summer. The main way this word impacted me was as a description of God. Our God is a generous God. This really hit home when several of us on staff were asked to meditate on Luke chapter 15. Now again, I've read Luke 15, which is the parable of the prodigal son specifically, a number of times in my life, hundreds of times probably. I've preached on the parable of the prodigal son, but that wasn't the assignment. It wasn't to learn more about Luke 15. The assignment was to simply sit under the text and allow God to speak to your heart. That's, that's a different thing to de- develop, a different kind of way of reading the Bible, isn't it? It's not reading it for information. It's reading it to hear a word from the Lord. And so I went about it. I already know everything about this, so what, is, what in the world is he possibly going to reveal to me? Well, once again, I was surprised uh, by what God showed me. If you don't know the story, the parable of the prodigal son tells the story of really two brothers, the youngest brother is the one I want to focus on. He asks the, his father for his half of the inheritance, which was basically telling his father, I wish you were dead. His father gives him the money, and you know the story, right? He goes and he spends it on wild living. But pretty soon the money runs out, he has no friends, and he finds himself in the worst place possible for a young Jewish boy. He is eating the food that pigs eat. And the Bible tells us, Jesus says in this story, that he comes to his senses, And he realizes that even the servants in his father's household are treated better than this. And he wonders, just maybe, just maybe, his father would welcome him back as a servant. And so we pick up the story in Luke chapter 15, verse 20. This time I'll just have it on the screen for you. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And that word compassion, it means literally His heart skipped a beat. 
His vital organs moved, is the Greek, if you really want to know. Something happened with inside this father. He ran to his son, which, if you've ever studied this story, you know that that is something that no respectable Jewish man would ever do. He would never run to this son who had completely disregarded him. Threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Not only does he welcome him back as a servant, but he lavishes gifts upon him. Gifts, quite honestly, that were fit for a king. Now again, I've read this story. You're familiar with it? You know then that it's probably the best story we have in all of Scripture to describe the gospel. The good news of God's grace, his love to us as his children. And yet... As I sat under this text, a picture came to me, an image came to me that really stunned me. I'll share a little uh, bit about it, but the question I began to ask is, what do I think God's reaction to me would be? Steve, what would his reaction to me be if I were the prodigal son? This question just came to me, and I was given this picture of coming back home, And God's sitting me down at this gigantic kitchen table and going over all the ways that I messed up before he would allow me to come back in to the household. I I literally have this picture of sitting at a table with my father. And and I realized uh, something here. I can't always accept God's generosity, especially to me. Some people think the most important question in life is, do you believe in God? I think an equally important question is, what kind of a God do you believe in? And I discovered as I sat under this text that the narrative that is still at work deep down in my life, I've shared with you before, I'm a recovering Pharisee. The narrative at work deep down in my life is that I have not done enough to deserve God's generous love. He would want to sit me down at a table and talk about all the things I had done wrong before he would invite me back into his home. His generosity has limits, especially for me. At best, I could be a servant in his household. But that's not the narrative of the Bible at all, is it? The generosity of the Father, God the Father, goes well beyond the generosity of this Father, even in this story. The generosity of our Father knows no bounds. He would even send his own son for me. If I were the only person living on this planet, he would have sent his son for me. Not so that I might be his servant, but that I might be his son. I think a lot of people understand that. They know about it. But deep down, we still struggle with it. I do. And beyond that, I struggle with... Moving beyond that part of the generosity, right? It's almost like, yeah, I know that God saved me by by grace through faith. What a generous father. But his generosity goes way beyond that. It's not just, okay, now I saved you. Welcome back home. Go be my servant now. Here's all the stuff I want you to do for me. No, he invites us into sonship, into adoption. 
I mentioned in the bulletin column, I've been slowly working through the Psalms, meditating, journaling, listening to the Word of God. And honestly, one of the constant themes that comes up over and over and over and over again in the Psalms is the generosity of God. Other than Jesus, I think David understood the generous spirit of our God better than anybody else. It's all over the pages of the Psalms. For example, I printed one of them there on your notes there. Psalm 36, 7 through 9. Just listen to these words. How priceless is your unfailing love, O God. People take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house. You give them drink from your river of delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light, we see light. Consider the words David uses there. As God's children, we feast in our Father's house. I don't know what your picture of a feast is, but it's not little plates with cheese and crackers. I'm picturing tables full of food. Inviting us into his kitchen, into his living room to partake of his generous love to us. We drink, not from sippy cups, but from a river of his delights. His generosity overflows to his children. As, much as, as many of you know, we prayed about it this morning. This has been a rough two weeks for our church family. We've had a number of deaths. We have a number of people really up against it when it comes to cancer and other illnesses. Most of us come into this room, we're not experiencing that right now. Most of us have a ton of energy, or at least coffee-induced energy, amen? Most of us don't come in on a Sunday morning aware of the fact that I am mortal. At some point, I'm going to die. We don't think about it, but there are some who have to think about that. Let me ask you something. What did you do to get that kind of health? Now, before you jump to spinach and jogging, let me just remind you, I know many people who have taken very good care of themselves, and they're up against it right now. What, what, did, what did you do? We have far less control than we think we do. So if you're healthy, if you have friends, you have friendships, if you have money in the bank, if you were able to eat breakfast this morning, do you know where that all comes from? It comes from the generous hand of a father who shares all good things with his children. You have a job? You know that we pray every week for a number of people in our church family to find employment. Where did your job come from? Is it because you worked hard? Yeah. Where did you get the ability to work? You got it from the generous hand of a father who loves you. Remember that old phrase, count your blessings? I used to hate it when my parents said that because it was always after I was complaining. <laughs> Maybe that's not such a bad thing for us to do today. When was the last time you just spent time thanking God for his generosity to you. Big things, small things, and everything in between. We don't have to wait until Thanksgiving when we write our list of 100 things we're thankful for. This is a discipline we can develop for every day. And you know what I've learned? Is the more that I develop this discipline of thankfulness, of gratitude, the more I begin to change the narrative that I tell myself. I can do nothing to earn God's love, but he has been a generous father to me, and he shares all things with me. The third word I want to share with you the Lord gave me this summer is the word through, T-H-R-O-U-G-H. 
Again, this one goes back to the story of Moses. This time we're going to skip ahead to Exodus 14. If you still have your Bible open to Exodus there. You can find it on page 48 in the Black Bible. Little context, the Israelites have just escaped their old life in Egypt. They've left that behind. They are on the beginning of their journey to freedom. And yet, here they are, and they run into their first problem. You see, Moses leads them to this place where there are mountains on either side of them. And, of course, the Red Sea is directly in front of them. They are trapped. Pharaoh realizes this. He comes to his senses and says, i got to go get my slaves back. And so we're going to pick up the story in Exodus 14, verse 10. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance of the Lord. The Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Now read verses 15 and 16 on your notes. Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. Of course, we know the rest of the story, right? God does deliver his people in a miraculous way. But it was those two verses that really did something to me. Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. Listen, what do you think the Israelites really wanted listening to them complain? What did they really want? Go ahead. What do you think they wanted to do? Yes. They wanted to go back. But the Lord wanted them to go through. This is a tremendous lesson for us. So often in life when I'm up against it, when there are mountains on either side and the Red Sea directly in front of me, you know what I want to do? I want to go back. I want to go back to the way things were, but God wants to take me through. Can I just be real raw and honest with you right now? Before I left on sabbatical, I will say for about 18 months prior to that, a year and a half, I've been going through a real dry season, specifically when it came to the area of preaching, which is surprising because preaching had always been the thing where I had found the most joy from doing. It was always a, an amazing thing to me that God would give me this opportunity. But it was just a really dry time, and I find, found myself praying to go back to how it was. I want to go back to that, Lord. And God's word to me through stories like this is, I'm not going to bring you back, but I will bring you through. In fact, this might be something you want to write down. God will never bring us back the way we came. He will, however, bring us through. God will never bring you back the way you came, but he will bring you through because he is always using those through experiences in our lives to prepare us for something that lies ahead. 
He has a purpose. He has a purpose when we're up against it. This, to me, has always been the true meaning of Romans 8.28, which is sometimes misquoted, right? It says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. doesn't mean all good things happen to us. It does mean that through all things, God will work good. Now, I'm not saying anything you all didn't hear all summer through the fabulous teaching that went on here in the Daniel series, am I? What was the phrase that you guys learned? No matter what. No matter what, he will see me through. I know there are many here this morning who are going through some very difficult things. Health challenges, relationship problems, loss of loved ones, dark nights of the soul. On Tuesday, I head back down to Barnes. I go there every three months. I have a kidney disease, and anytime I go, I don't know what I'm going to hear. There's mountains on either side. The Red Sea is in front of me. The promise is not that I can go back to something that used to be. The promise is, though, that God will bring me through. He will bring me through, and he is using those through times in our lives to prepare us for something even greater. I mean, think about it. Why did God have the Israelites experience this? Why did he bring them to a place where they were trapped? Because he was preparing them for the promised land, right? Where they were going to have to learn this lesson over and over again. Even when things seem impossible, you can trust me in my faithfulness. Why does God bring us as New Testament believers to these through experiences? Well, Romans 8.29, which should always be read with 8.28 and 30, say this. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What is his purpose for our through experiences? It is to bring us to the new promised land, a place in eternity with God forever, our glorification. But along the way, he has the work of conforming us to the image of his son. And I've learned the hard lesson, have you, that the best way God conforms us to the image of Jesus is through through experiences. That is the purpose of those times. He won't bring us back, but he'll bring us through. Praise God. Fourth and final word I want to share with you is the word remember. This one had more to do with the project I was working on uh, all summer. Uh, I, again, mentioned in the beginning I'm writing a, a paper about the importance of remembering, basically. And maybe you're surprised to know, but this word remember is everywhere in the Bible. It's a command God gives his people constantly. The Hebrew word is everywhere. It's the word zakar. Isn't that a cool word just to say? I just wanted to say it. Zakar. Now, today we think of remembering of just like, I just recall the past, as if it's some sort of a passive thing. But in Scripture, to remember always had an active purpose for it. We would remember something in order to have something for the present. So, think about some of the examples where we're told to remember. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Why? Just to be like, oh, that was cool that God did. No, remember it. Remember, he's your creator. Remember, he gives you a day of rest. He is a generous father. It always has a purpose. Remember the Passover. Why were the, they to remember the Passover? Because they were to look back 
and see God's faithfulness that they could then live their faith in the present. Remember when they cross into uh, the promised land finally, right? Joshua leads them into the promised land and they take 12 stones of, same word in Hebrew, remembrance. And they build an altar there. Why? Just because they wanted to have a cool altar? Of course not. So that generations from then, people could look back and see the greatness of God and be inspired to live out their faith in the present. Jesus told us to remember him. And so we take the Lord's Supper, don't we? Remember. Why all this emphasis on remembering? Again, I'm trying to get to the point here. It's not just to recall the past. It's to recall the past so that we can live more faithfully in the present. In other words, the point of remembering is that moves us to live out our faith, especially, catch this, during those through times in your life. Especially during those through times. You want an example? Look at Psalm 77 with me on the screen, or you can turn there if you prefer. This is Asaph, one of the writers of the Psalms. He says, I cried out to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me. When I was in distress, I sought the Lord. At night, I stretched out untiring hands, and I would not be comforted. You think he's going through a through experience right now? He's up all night, and he can't receive comfort. What is he going to do? He's got mountains on the left, mountains on the right, the Red Sea in front of him. I find it fascinating what Asaph chooses to do. Look. I thought about the former days. What's that another word for? I remembered. The years long ago. I remembered my songs in the night. My heart meditated and my spirit asked, will the Lord reject forever? What answer is he expecting by asking that question? No. Will he never show his favor again? No. Has his unfailing love vanished forever? No. Has his promise failed for all time? No. Has God forgotten to be merciful? No. Has he in anger withheld his compassion? No. Then I thought, to this I will appeal. The years when the Most High stretched out his right hand, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will consider all your works and meditate on all your mighty deeds. Isn't that interesting? In the middle of his through experience, what does he do? He remembers. And look at where that ultimately leads him at the end of this psalm. Your ways, God, are holy. What God is as great as our God? Wait a minute. Verses 1 and 2, he's in distress. You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the peoples. With your mighty arm, you redeemed your people. The descendants of Jacob and Joseph, you led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses Asaph understands if God had been faithful in the past, even in those through moments, he will be faithful to me in the present. There's some power in remembering, isn't there? And what happens if we stop remembering? What's the word for that? What's the opposite of remember? Forget. I'm almost 40. I'm learning a lot more about what that word means. One thing I do know that Forgetting doesn't often lead to good things. Forgetting a birthday, forgetting an anniversary, forgetting an appointment, not always a good thing. How much more forgetting God? This summer, we had the privilege of worshiping 
uh, in a church that really impacted um, my faith life and one of the reasons I'm even felt called to be a pastor and they were doing a series on judges and if you don't know the story of judges very quickly the people enter the promised land Joshua dies they're without a leader and they begin this the Israelites begin this downward spiral you see it again and again in the book right they leave the Lord their God God sends an oppressor they cry out for deliverance God sends a deliverer a judge uh, he delivers them but then once again when times are good they go go through this cycle again and again and again why why do they find themselves in this cycle? Well, Judges 3.7, I printed on your notes there, pretty much sums it up. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and the Asherahs. God commanded them, very first commandment, right? Remember me. You shall have no other God besides me. Do this one thing, but here it says, the people forgot the Lord their God. And where did that forgetting lead them? Serving other gods, to idolatry, to walking away from their faith, to what we would call syncretism, right? Where I can mix the culture with my faith and be fine with that. Friends, I can't possibly talk about everything that can be said about remembering. If you want to read a really boring paper, I invite you to read my paper sometime and you can read more. But listen, one of the reasons we gather together every week, I mean, why make that a discipline in your life, to gather together every week? Come here and worship together with other believers. It's because we are practicing the discipline of remembering. Together, as the body, we take time to remember God's goodness to us, his generosity. We remember his sacrifice. We remember his love. We remember that he has been faithful in the past, and he will be faithful once again to us in the presence. This is why the author of Hebrews would say in chapter 10, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. How do we do that? How do I hold unswervingly? Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. How do we encourage? We remember together. That the Lord has been good to us all the more as you see the day approaching. By corporately remembering God's faithfulness to us, we equip ourselves to live out our faith each day this week. You heard a song earlier in the service called We Well Remember. This is a song that deeply impacted me, and I wanted to share it with you, and they were gracious enough to learn it this week. Uh, and I want to invite you uh, to, to join with them as they begin uh, to sing this. It's simply a song of saying, we're going to remember, we're going to look back to the past at all the times that you have brought us, those through times, those good times. And by remembering that, we're going to learn how to live faithful lives today, this week. So why don't you join us as we sing this song? <laughs> 